Today's episode is my interview on the Rent to Retirement podcast. I am asked to dive deep into the real estate fundamentals of healthcare properties. The host asked me questions on why this asset is attractive from both an owner user and investor standpoint. We discuss lease rates, lease terms, lending and tenant improvements from both vantage points. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Rent to Retirement podcast. We want to thank everybody for joining us for another episode. Uh, this is Adam Schrader here with Zach Lee Master again, and we are joined today by Trisha Talbot. She is the managing principal of Doc Properties, and Doc Properties represents investors of medical office buildings and the healthcare companies that occupy them. Um, she'll explain it a little bit more in depth, but Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you got started in the real estate space initially? Like, was it a from the beginning? Did you kind of fall into it later? Kind of how did you get started there? Um, well, I live in Phoenix, Arizona, which is a very it's a high growth um, a high growth market, and commercial real estate has always been a very healthy industry just because companies are are moving here, they're expanding. Um, and I started my commercial real estate career at a developer that specifically developed, managed, and leased uh, medical office buildings. So um, I was in the leasing department there for a couple of years and then moved to a third-party brokerage and did the same thing and, um, and then went to a national brokerage firm until I started my own firm here uh, late last year. So I, I grew up doing um, you know a lot of landlord leasing and then moved into sales and investment sales. Okay. And what made you decide to focus on the, the dock properties? Like what, uh, what about the medical field? Is it just the whole, I mean, you know, you hear the healthcare never goes into recession type thing. Was that what yeah. led you to it or what drew you to that? Well, my first job in commercial real estate, I think, um, you know, I, when you go into commercial real estate, you have to pick between, uh, there's, I think, five food groups, they say it's office, industrial, land, retail, or, um, you know, multifamily. So uh, I, I definitely felt more attracted to office. And then I, I think my first job being introduced to, a, you know, working at a firm that specifically concentrated and, and focused on the healthcare real estate asset class. I, I think what drew me to it is it's a mission-driven and demand-driven mission-critical development. So, you know, there's a purpose for it. Um, it's also very purpose-driven. Physicians can't do, they can't do surgery and they can't operate out of their house. They have to have a facility to do that in for everybody's safety and regulations. And so there's a reason why these facilities exist. And then 
uh, working with the physicians. Um, I liked how they operate. They need information quickly. They tend to need to make decisions quickly. Um, you know, they, they appreciated the help that they got because they have obviously a day job doing something very non-real estate related. And then they needed, you know, when you're making or going through a real estate transaction, there's just a lot of information. There's some decisions that have to be made. Someone has to tell you the economic impacts of the different decisions. And it was really, um, I, I enjoyed advising them through that process and putting all that information together and, and, and helping them be able to make these decisions. And then at the end of the day, it's a facility or, or something that they use to then, you know, treat their patients. Trisha, you do a, a lot. I mean, can we just really quickly for the audience define what Doc Properties exact, exactly does? I mean, it sounds like you're working with, um, you know, the actual healthcare provider, if it's going to be an owner-occupied space or healthcare groups. It looks sounds like you're working on the, you know, identification and, and leasing aspect, building the business model. You're working with investors that want to own those potential spaces, possibly some ground-up development. Can you just give us kind of a full scope of exactly um, what Doc Properties does? Sure. It's um, it healthcare real estate investments, and I advise third-party um, investors in either selling or purchasing medical office buildings. And then I work with, I call them physician owners. So I, I, I tend to not do as much leasing. Um, if there's somebody that needs some help doing a renewal or something, I will help them. Um, but, but typically it is, um, or finding a, a new space more for the larger healthcare companies. How that usually happens is we're, we're working on a property that they, a market that they want to preferably buy in, but there's no product to buy. So then I'll help them find a space to lease. But I typically work with physician owners and physician owners, they are, you know, it's a practice typically that they want to own the building because they get a lot of economic benefits from owning a building and the reimbursements when they own a facility are higher than if they're renting or if they're in a hospital. Um, so they have a lot of operational benefits to owning a facility. Um, and they also do this to it's a wealth building machine for them as well. It's obviously an investment for the long term that, you know, they'll typically buy it at one price and then they'll sell it, um, you know, with a lot more value in it at the end of the day. So my clients are investors or physician, I call them physician owners because they're typically going to use the property. Um, I do have a lot of physicians that are kind of wanting to invest in properties and maybe not occupy them as third party owners. So I know it's it's hard to get around, but it's it's really either the the healthcare physician owners that want to invest in a property, a health a healthcare property that they're going to operate, or the third party investor that wants to own a building. Excellent, thank you for that clarity. So you're working in an advisory role, really, to assist the the owner, uh, the healthcare provider, and that that could be one and same as the investor or potentially third party investors that want to operate in the medical use space, right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Very good. Do you find that most um, most of the clinics and, and the uh, investor slash um, healthcare provider for these buildings is it usually a one dedicated building? Are there often you know like retail strips where they could um, you know occupy one space and have the other spaces for investment purpose? Uh, things like this. I know that. And can we talk about the financing a little bit too? This sure. is particularly interesting to me um, personally because I have a background in healthcare. 
as an optometrist and we in a previous life and we owned um, you know a few different clinics and we also invest quite heavily in retail space we have a lot of spaces right now that are medical use primary care um, we have a dermatology uh, optometry dentist veterinary space um, uh, I'm missing it. oh we have some chiropractic space as well um, so we see you know something a lot of these guys coming in to occupy these spaces in different capacities but Going back to the, uh, what is a typical owner use that you're seeing um, and what, how does the financing work? I know on if someone can potentially get a small business loan or something like this where, hey, they, they need to occupy, say, like 60% of the space, but then if 40% is unoccupied, and I don't know if I'm correct on these numbers, but mm -hmm. they may be able to have an additional space. Can you talk? I'm throwing a lot at you, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm bit. just taking notes here so I can make sure I get everything. Um, so the, the retail trend that you're talking about, it, so it, it's called in the healthcare real estate asset class space, it's, it's defined as medtail. So a lot of physician practice, a lot of practices and, and um, they're, they're looking at retail space. One, it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of shift in retail space, as you've seen, you know, that I guess the Amazon effect has affected a lot of, of them. And so retail has gone through sort of repivoting of its own. And, um, and in that they, you know, medical office build, uh, medical office users have been interested in the space as they, um, the parking that, you know, offers good parking for them. Uh, parking is always an issue for medical office. Uh, a lot of office landlords sometimes when they're having a hard time leasing up their space and even now it's happening with um, a lot of office buildings having available space uh, due to people working more from home um, they'll just say hey you know we're, we're gonna make this medical well, there's some concerns with that one is parking so um, in a very on municipality but in general it's usually five for one parking which is a lot um, and so retail you typically already has this available. Retail also offers visibility. So a lot more practices are looking to have signage that's viewable from the street. They no longer want to be tucked behind something. Um, so visibility is big and retail offers that for some medical practices. And so that's been attractive. Um, pad sites too, they can purchase a retail pad. Um, you've seen this uh, with the trend. A lot of um, hospitals are putting urgent cares on corners, just like kind of CVS and Walgreens. But now you see some in different markets. So in my market, there's a Banner Health is pretty big. Dignity Health is big. Um, those are some of the big systems. So the, they've done, you know, there's been a hub and spoke model uh, for healthcare where, you know, the, the acute care hospitals want to, they, they've constantly been trying to get, um, their, the outpatient care out of the hospital. So they've built these outpatient clinics, urgent care centers, more in the communities where the patients don't have to drive as far. And they're typically like the being in a pad site in the corner of a retail center so that, you know, there's a lot of drive-by traffic and it's easy to get to. So that's so, sort of the med tail trend that you're talking about. So, and that's what you're saying, yes, is that we're seeing more of a transition a little bit to uh, medical use in a retail center because of the, the visibility and things like this. I mean, one thing I want to talk about with you is just how COVID has potentially affected some of this. I think that's very relevant. Um, generally in the commercial space, no one wants to touch office right now to your, your points in general about, mm -hmm. you know, people being able to work from home. We, we've seen that. Um, 
And I, I think it's a volatile space right now it is pure office, but medical use office is, you know, maybe a, an area that is a little bit more, um, you know, withstanding, you know, or has a little bit more resiliency in, in times like this because they need the medical office. People can't work from home. They need to have mm -hmm. care in the facility. How do you mm -hmm. think, I guess, two-part question for you would be, how do, how is uh, medical use in general operated through COVID? And what do you think in is medical use compared to say office space and other uh, commercial asset classes? How does it fare? So medical office has probably been the healthiest throughout COVID. Um, the the um, rental payments have stayed, you know, in the high nineties for most of the um, investors that I have spoken to couple of reasons for that. One, um, you know, the doctors still had to operate. The, a, a lot of practices qualified for the PPP loan, so they were able to pay rent, but they still, you know, I know there was some shutdowns with um, some what they termed as uh, elective surgeries, but as soon as they ramped back up, I think they're here in Arizona, it was probably a, maybe a six-week period. And then after that, everybody was back to work. So everybody, you know, a lot of the clients I work with and, and physicians that I speak to, you know, they're not, they don't work from home. I mean, they're in the office every day. They're still providing surgeries. Um, they've put, I mean, still today, even though Arizona um, is not necessarily having mask mandates, every, every physician office that I go into still requires everybody to wear masks. So they're really trying to keep, get their staff healthy, um, for one, and, and also be able to treat patients. So, um, medical office has been incredibly resilient. That's not to say that the other asset classes have not have, um, you know, office, there's, there's a lot of space that, um, I think people are definitely reanalyzing how they're going to bring their workforce back. Um, since I, that's not what I do. I, I while I read about it and I'm aware of it, I haven't really um you know been affected by it but i other than going into meetings at office buildings that are very vacant um a, a lot of i hear with the office is you know the buildings with elevators people are trying to get out of and you know try and here in arizona they can you know there's a lot of exterior loaded buildings where you know you can go up you know two stories so they only have to go up one flight of stairs you know that's not true in every market and not every market can do that so um you know it, it, it's going to be interesting in this next couple of years to see how office fares how they pivot um and what they do to succeed and and come out of co the COVID effect so basically retail or the uh, the medical spaces has been doing quite fine and even very through. well Mm -hmm. um, you know, potential short-term shutdowns and, and changing some procedures. Um, and they, they've been pretty resilient. Let's, um, let's kind of apply this to, to our listener database. A lot of our clients and in, in investor database is looking to build and scale a rental portfolio. This usually starts with single family on the residential side. Maybe they want to scale up over time, look at a, a commercial asset to, to diversify or maybe 1031 into over time. What uh, what would you say is important from someone that's evaluating a medical building or a building that has medical use in it from a, a tenant perspective? Um, you know, is is that a safe? I, I think we talked about that already with it being a resilient type of tenant. Are you typically seeing these people that aren't using an owner occupied space or just looking at leasing, 
triple net leases, you know, long-term leases, personal guarantees. What what's important for an investor looking at a potential retail center that doesn't have, or a medical use center that doesn't have any experience? What are some important things to know that that's going to be a strong tenant? So that's always the the rub with new people into the market. Um, there's a there's a first of all, I would really um, you know tour a lot of medical buildings, read a lot about them. I read a lot about the market. It's not rocket science, but the tenants are the key. Uh, the tenants and and the building. So um, there's a lot of so medical office has you know some new product, and then there's a lot of older product, and you have to be careful. Um, and then you know a gluttony in the middle. So first of all, just to answer a few of your points. Um, the attractiveness to medical office and its resiliency is the long-term leases. The reason there's long-term leases is because a, a landlord has to provide a significant amount of capital uh, in the, for a tenant improvement allowance because the tenant does sign a long-term lease and the tenant still you know, has to supply a, a lot of capital. So in just to give a little bit of reference, um, you know, if they, if in an office building, if it's second generation, you can probably budget fifteen to twenty dollars a square foot for retenanting the space. In medical office, um, if you second generation, I would say you still cannot budget less than fifty bucks a square foot because you, once you get in there, you know there might be some changes to plumbing. There's obviously electrical. Um, it, it becomes it starts to become really expensive because each particular medical use has a specific purpose for that space. So, you know, to your point, if you're a family practice and you're going to, you know, occupy a space that was previously optometry, while there might be some things that you can save in optometry, you typically don't have, you don't necessarily have sinks in all of your exam rooms. You don't necessarily need them. But in a family practice, you absolutely need to have sinks in every exam room. So there is a plumbing expense there that can, well, you know, the exam rooms themselves might still be um, reused and some of the basic stuff like the waiting room um, and reception area and some physician offices, the exam rooms are going to have to be completely reconfigured in order to make that space um, productive for a family practice. From and, and that's what you have to analyze when you go in there is, you know, how, how much money am I going to anticipate having to go into having to to put into this space. So if it's 50 bucks a square foot for the entire cost, and that's, I think, more on the conservative side, or that's more on a, uh, you know, that's an easy, I think, build out. I would think on shell space, the cost for medical space, it used to be 80 bucks a square foot. Now it's 100. But, you know, they typically, right now with costs, I think, you know, you have to budget somewhere up to 120 bucks a square foot. So if you're a landlord and you're saying, hey, I'm going to offer, it's going to cost the total cost of 120. You as a landlord have to offer 75 bucks or so, and then you can ask for a 10 year deal. So what you're talking about is um, for someone that's not familiar with TI is, is your, your tenant Mm -hmm. improvements. Whenever you have a new tenant that's moving into a space, depending on, you know, what condition the space is in, you know, whether it's vanilla space or it's not really built out, or if you really have to transition, you're, you're offering an allowance um, that's really the, and this is open to negotiation sometimes, but is, is really the, uh, the landlord has to pay out, out of the gates to, you know, a lot of money to transition this space. And sometimes tents take on part of that and could be built into the rent or, 
you know, figured out over time, but, but there's a large expense of putting that tenant into the space. Um, and so that's why they, they're looking for long-term leases. So, um, let's kind of move on to a few other topics with, are you involved in the financing, um, aspect, you know, assisting with, uh, do you have different lenders? I mean, what kind of, uh, I guess I'll ask that first and then yeah. if it's a yes, then we'll go into more financing questions. Sure. Um, and, and just so you know, just one point with the, the tenant improvements is, you know, typically in medical buildings, the lease rates are higher than general office to account for the tenant improvement costs, but um, personal guarantees and making sure that the tenants are financially viable is a huge part of that because obviously you need to make sure that that, that outlay as an investor is guaranteed some way. Um, so just finishing up on those points, which, you know, has a lot more layers into it. But with regard to financing, so for physician owners, if it's a, you know, um, if it's a group that wants to do an SBA loan, and I think SBA loans go up to $5 million. Anyway, so they, yeah. Um, so they require that the, whoever's taking it out is, um, occupies 51% or more of the property. So, um, and that, works for for some practices and some if they've been doing this over and over again they have a banking relationship and they can get conventional lending as well so typically they like to have just like any other business they like to have two years of financial history um they like to have you know they you go through what i call a financial proctology exam you have to be able to supply everything to them so you just have to be prepared for that but sba the cost of capital for these healthcare um, groups that can use it, it typically is the lowest cost of capital for them. If they want to do a bigger building, say they want to do like, it's a, it's a very large group and they're like, Hey, I want to do a 20 to 30 to 40,000 square foot building. We're going to do this, you know, 15,000 square foot surgery center. It might be a little big for a surgery center. So let's do like 10,000. We're going to occupy, you know, for our practice, you know, a floor, but then, you know, we want to build it a little bigger for either future expansion that we aren't, we don't know, or there's other groups. So like, if a, let's say it's a, a cardiology group, they want to build a cath lab, they're a large cardiology group, they have a lot of diagnostic services that they offer, they take up a large space, but then they might want to have an internal medicine group um, that they uh, work with for a referral for them. So, or they might have a cardiac subspecialty um, that they also want to occupy. So you, you, you create this um, referral mix inside of the building. So they want to buy this, they want to get this bigger building. And if they need more financing, there are, there are a lot of um, people in the space that do what's called joint ventures. So you know, they do lose some percentage of the ownership, but it's like everything you either have a, you know, a partial percentage of a bigger pie, or you, you know, try to just have one small pie. So in that case, you know, the, um, the joint ventures come in, and it's a combination of some a lot of private capital that they have raised, and they specialize in investing in the medical office asset class, so they can analyze the opportunity in the market and the physician group really uh, effectively and efficiently. And, and they can raise money that way as well. And sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes they get a, you know, a debt for some and, and equity from these joint ventures for another part, portion of it. So if someone is, I mean, in the medical space or, or even office space in general, a good way to go about breaking into the, 
um, into the commercial investing space is to have, I mean, your best financing available is going to be on an owner occupant type of scenario. However, you can, if you occupy the majority of that building, you can have other office spaces or retail spaces that you can lease out um, to acquire a larger space and have tenants um, that are, you know, you can put in that are complementary to to your business and then can also create a, a larger investment. So that's that's an option. You can look at just if you're if you're not going to own or occupy, I mean, you have your conventional and all sorts of different type of financing options to buy commercial space, which which we cover in, in other um, you know videos and podcasts. To, if you're interested in breaking into the commercial today, we're just kind of going through a, a little bit of a sector of commercial, um, you know, or you can do the joint venture aspect and, and bring in private capital, whether or not you're you're doing uh, owner occupant uh, mm-hmm. type of scenarios. So. Um, Adam, what kind of, I know I've been cutting you off. What questions yeah. do you have, Patricia? Yeah, well, I'm not surprised that uh, the former optometrist had a lot of questions about <laughs> the uh, medical space. But one of the things that has concerned me is, you know, there's a whole lot of physician-occupied um, things. Like a lot of physicians are operating surgical centers. It seems like, at least here in Austin, like every third building is a surgical facility in a lot of places. So how much runway do you think there still is on these? Do you think it's anywhere near kind of saturation where they're going to have to go into, you know, smaller places or go back to hospitals or something like that? Or is it something that can kind of just continue because of the fact that, you know, as long as they have a general customer base, they can own their own building and it won't be a problem? I don't think it's going away. Um, and that there's a couple of reasons for that. One, hospitals don't want necessarily to have outpatient sur- um, surgeries. There's a lot of surgeries that don't need to happen in the hospital. And, you know, as anybody who has had um, some outpatient surgeries, I mean, they have you in and they want you gone. They want you yeah. home. Um, it's And it's better for a patient too. I mean, um, because hospitals are, their purpose as acute care facilities is to tend and treat acute care trauma. Um, very complicated surgeries, things that can't be, that need to be done in that acute care setting. Um, so more and more hospitals are understanding and, and that's how a hospital also is able to be financially viable as they concentrate on acute care stuff. Um, they have been purchasing family practices and, and other practices in order to keep the referrals going. But the, you know, obviously those practices are located outside of the hospital. The surgery centers, um, I think they're going to continue to be successful because also if you are a physician and you're um, trying to get, you know, trying to use a hospital surgery center, a surgery room in a hospital, you run the risk of being bumped for a trauma. Um, surgery that needs to happen. So for physicians, um, you know, coming, looking at it from their lens, one, they get higher reimbursements doing it in their own outpatient facility that they own. Secondly, you know, if you're a physician, you're a surgeon, um, you want to be as efficient as possible. And typically, as you know, you know, the surgeons will, they'll, they'll plan back-to-back surgeries like one or two days a week. And that's, that's their surgery day. And then they'll do pre and post-op, um, uh, visits in their clinical office on days, but you know, it, so they like to you know set these cases up and do them one right after another. If you're dependent on the hospital surgery room, that you're you end up 
not necessarily being able to be as efficient and you have to wait and make sure that that surgery room is available for you. Do you think that there's any benefit um, in, or what are you seeing in, in proximity to hospitals? Often what we see in evaluating a, a new commercial space uh, is you you have this large hospital and then you have some ancillary office space and or you know, larger offices that are in probably intended medical use because of proximity to the hospital. And then those price per square foot rents are astronomically higher than say, if it was a mile down the road, even though it has good visibility. Um, do you, do you see that there's a true benefit and successful clinics that have that proximity to the hospital? Is that worth the clinic paying the much higher rent to be there? Yeah, so all of this goes into, you know, a healthcare practices business plan and business model, which is specific to each practice. So for instance, if you're an OBGYN, typically you those are located near or sometimes on hospital campuses because they have to get to the hospital quickly. So it it really depends on the practice. Um, if you're a it, you know, it, um, if you are owned by the hospital, they're going to put you as close to the hospital as possible. So if you're a cardiology group that is owned by the hospital, they're going to put you on or near the campus. For others, it, it just depends if it makes sense. Um, there's orthopedic groups that, you know, a lot of orthopedic surgeries are now done outpatient. So they're no longer dependent on the hospital. And while they might want to be somewhere in the vicinity of the hospital, they don't necessarily need to be on campus or campus adjacent. That's a the really good point you just brought up. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the advances of, of medical practices and anything that you foresee in the general future that someone that isn't not, not an end user, um, not a, not an occupied owner, but someone that's just purely looking to invest in uh, medical office space. What are some changes that we're seeing coming up in the medical world that are changing the dynamic of people leasing? We talked a little bit about this with people moving to a retail type of setting. Um, but what other things are you seeing advances medically that are going to change the dynamic of their, the, the office space that they're using, that they're looking for? I think that um, as more and more uh, procedures are being moved, outpatient clinics and outpatient facilities, I think, are going to be the wave of the future for a lot of practices. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm not a, a physician, so I'm not exactly sure but what technologies you're talking about. But I know, you know, just in imaging, uh, the, the, the equipment is incredibly expensive and, and getting more so. Um, and, you know, obviously being able to detect things earlier and earlier. Um, and, you know, because of the expense of all of that, it's, it's really hard to just to lease. So an imaging is a perfect example. So an in, imaging center, let's say, you know, a full diagnostic imaging center, I had a client, it was, it's a million dollars to open up a center between, um, the cost of the build out and the equipment. So if you are a physician or a practice that's going to put, you know, 175, the cost of your build out is like 175 bucks a square foot. So this is imaging. Um, this can be for some really um, other uh, diagnostic intensive groups. So you know, cancer centers and all of that. Um, 
it's really hard to make sense that you know, you're going to sign a 10-year lease, even though the landlord may give you 70 bucks, you're still putting in $100 a square foot of your own money. When you start to look at this, you're like, and I'm not going to own it. And in 10 years, I have to renew. And you know, if for some reason, you know, they need to do tenant improvements during that time, they're likely to have to do it themselves. If they want any um, you know, landlord at the end of that term, they may give them like paint and carpet to renew, maybe, you know, depending on how long they renew a little bit more. But if they own the building, they get the economic benefit of doing that. They can recapitalize it, they can get um, and they can refinance and all of that stuff. So they have a, a lot more flexibility. So I do think that as technology increases and groups are having to purchase more expensive equipment, their build-outs are having to become more specialized, it's going to be really hard for them to lease, just be straight leasing. Now, there are investors that do allow physician ownership in their buildings, and it's just a case-by-case, and it depends. It's typically more on new space rather than second generation. Um but I do see these trends. It's just that the cost of these build-outs are becoming so high and specialized that it, it's hard for them probably, to make it probably make means Probably means we're all going to be paying a lot more for uh, medical in the future. Um, <laughs> well, that's all. Inflation is real. It, it's tough because, you know, the technology... Well, I, I think it's unfortunately going to go in two different ways. It's going to go where there is medical care for population health, um, and then there's going to be those practices that tend towards those just in private insurance and or that can pay out of their pocket. Have what, you um, noticed anything? I know a couple of years ago I read a few articles that were talking about the ownership factor of it and kind of questioning whether it should be allowed since they can direct people towards their own facility and get kind of double dip in terms of facility and charging for the um, services that they're offering. Has there been any movement on that? Like, is that something that a physician group should be at all concerned about if they're going to be buying a you know building to practice in? So there's a regulations called Stark regulations. Um, so typically, what happens is a group they'll when they, they they have two separate LLCs. So they'll have an LLC that that owns and operates the building, the property, and then they'll have an LLC that you know for their practice. Um, typically they will still, the group, the LLC of the practice will sign a lease that they have with the LLC that owns the building. Cause sometimes not all of the physicians in the practice want to own the building. Um, and you know, so there, it just comes in a little bit different variety. That lease rate has to be in line with market conditions. So they can't, um, you know, they can't pay something that is too low and you know why would you want to pay something that's too high so they have to be in line with market conditions and they have to pay a market what's called a market lease a couple reasons is for the stark regulations which um you know it's very that's more of a legal thing and i don't i don't know enough to go into it with uh, expert <laughs> advice um so we'll stay a little bit away from there. But also, you know, if they own the building and they lease it to another group, they can't give that other group like a special deal for leasing space. It has to all be at market conditions. And this is where a lot of, you know, getting advice from somebody from the market, because unless they're doing deals all day long, it's hard to understand where exactly the market is for market rates. Um, you can certainly find out, but typically you, you know, you want to just make sure that you're all 
in the legal and compliance part of that. So um, I think that answered your question. When do you see medical use not being successful in a particular space? Um, I know just with some of the buildings we own that we bought from developers, we've seen issues where they weren't, um, the clinic was not budget, or this could go for any tenant for this matter, but they're, you know, in triple net leases, you're, you're covering the tax insurance and cam, uh, your common area maintenance mm-hmm. with, with a building. So that's, that really means that that's all on the tenant. If insurance goes up over time, if taxes go up over time, you know, you need to be the, the clinic needs to be, or any tenant needs to be budgeting for that appropriately. Of course, as they become more stabilized, their, you know, their revenue should also increase. But one thing that we've seen is where the developer puts in a tenant into a space and after it's newly built and the taxes are very low at that point in time. And after the property sells it's say like five or five and a half cap, it's reassessed and taxes will go up three or four times. And it's really not viable for the tenant to have to cover those taxes and they go dark. Um, but I mean, that's just one scenario. What, what type of things are you seeing where a medical office is not successful or having issues? So, you know, first you have to buy them on what I would say is sound real estate fundamentals. You can't, you as a medical practice, just like any business, I mean, medical practice is like any business. It's, they they have to purchase the, a property and make the real estate decisions that make sense for their particular practice, which happens to be, you know, how much money they make either through insurance reimbursements, which this is the rub because reimbursements keep getting pushed down and rents are going up. So they really have to take a look at what cost they can afford for either the mortgage that they're going to have to pay or the least expense that they're going to have to pay. And they do need to factor in all of the costs. You know, taxes are uncontrollable. They, they go up. Um, if they own the building, though, it, you know, it won't get reassessed because they, they aren't going to sell it. So that's you know, a little bit of protection there. Um, but in, in leasing, and, and a lot of medical buildings are triple net just because there's some practices that use um, more electricity than others. So it's not fair for the electricity to be pro rata share against everybody because if you've got an imaging center in a building and then you have a family practice, family practice doesn't want to pay for the electrical expense of an imaging center. So it's typically triple net. And in that, you know, uncontrollable expenses are building insurance and taxes. Those always get negotiated out when someone wants to control the expenses because that's not, not something the landlord can control. And you have to expect that, you know, the landlord that you, if you're in a 10-year lease, you you have to go into it thinking the landlord that I have now in three to five years may not be the same landlord that I have. And it may trade twice during a 10-year period, who knows? So you have to go into that um, knowing that it will likely trade, which is, I think, you know, for a medical practice, the way, because it, while they're, they they do continue to stay in business and practice in their space. There's the whole other layer, which, you know, that you would take another two hours to discuss that has to do with, you know, healthcare costs, what doctors are making insurance and all of that. So, so there's that whole layer kind of surrounding the space too, that, you know, doctors have to make sound real estate decisions. I don't know if office condos were a popular thing in your market, but they were, you know, um, here in, I don't know, in the early 2000s. 
where developers would create these, you know, they're usually 10,000 square foot footprints and they would, would cut them into ports and then they would sell them to smaller practices, you know, just 175 bucks for the shell. And then they have to put, you know, on a shell, then they own it. So they have to do all of the tenant improvements, which could range anywhere from 80 to a hundred bucks. So they're, they're, um, uh, you know, they're all in 200 plus bucks a square foot before they even open. To me, that takes you know, a long time to, to recoup those costs. Trisha, are we moving towards a socialized medicine healthcare setting? <laughs> yeah, that's a question I can't answer kidding. yet. Don't, don't yeah, answer yeah. that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I have um, no idea. No, this um, has been, uh, been yeah, very, very helpful. Yeah, thank you so much, Trisha Talbot, for joining us. She is Managing Principal at Doc Properties. You can check them out at docproperties.com. That's docproperties.com. Trisha, is there anything else you want to leave our uh, listeners with or any other websites you'd like to promote? Um, no, I mean, just my, my website has a lot of information about me um, and my track record. And I try to, you know, advise physicians and answer questions and, and happy to do so. And all my contact information is on there if they want to reach me. Absolutely. So I really appreciate your time today. I hope our listeners do as well. I hope it's been informative for all of you, you can check us out at renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. We'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on your podcast platform. And if you have any questions for us or uh, want to want us to reach out to Trisha and ask her a question for you, it's podcast at renttoretirement.com. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Really appreciate you all joining us today, and we'll see you on the next episode. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.